I'd ask you please take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. been in the book of Hebrews for, I guess, about a year now, and we're rapidly approaching the, uh, <clears throat> the end of the book of Hebrews, so we're in the next to the last chapter, chapter 12, and this morning our text is going to be verses 18 through verse 24, and I would ask you if you're able, please to stand together with me as we read from God's word. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness and gloom and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the, children of, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Thus far, the reading of God's word, and you may be seated. There are times when I'm out in public in, in Gainesville, and I, I might be with one of you, and uh, someone uh, comes up that... Uh, doesn't know me, and I didn't know them. You'll introduce us, and we'll begin talking. And, and I might ask uh, where they go to church. And um, if they say, well, I, I don't have a church, then I'd feel it's definitely my obligation to invite them to come to church here. And you probably have done the same thing. I, I bet most of you have invited a, a person or two to come to church with you here. It's a good thing. We ought all to do that. But I find that there is a particular re response that uh, I don't hear all the time, but I have heard it, and I bet you've heard it too as you've invited people to come to church with you. response to go something like this. If I were to walk into that church, the walls would fall in on me. I know they would. We see God as, the, as this uh, um, judge up in the sky, and he's really ready to pour out his wrath on us. And if we step into his church, his place, well, he's not going to like us being in here because we're such bad sinners, right? And so if I were to go into your church, I'm sure the walls would fall in on me. It seems that uh, the idea is that uh, God in his church is all about God's judgment. Now, that's not uh, our thought this morning, or, or, or is it? Do you sometimes worry that you're just not good enough? And you know that because you're not good enough, God is going to, um, he's really going to judge you harshly. 
The only thing that you can see to come into the presence of God is a fear and terror. Well, the author of Hebrews speaks uh, this morning of that sort of thing. He speaks of two different mountains in our text this morning. Uh, hopefully you saw that, two different mountains. And the two different mountains represent two different covenants. Um, the old covenant and the new covenant, which we have here. The first mountain, in the first mountain we're going to see it was impossible for anyone to approach God. We see that in the passage. In fact, God himself tells them before they come uh, to that mountain, you, you don't come here. We're going to see that. The next mountain, the other mountain, is one in which we are called to go boldly and joyfully into his presence. When we uh, see these two mountains and we recognize the mountain that, uh, that the author of Hebrews tells us that we have come to, it should change our whole view. And we dare not think that we come into this place only to have God pour his walls down in on us and crash in on us because of our sinfulness. So let's look at these two mountains this morning. First one uh, we see in verses 18 through 21. You'll notice that it doesn't mention the name of the mountain. But we know the name of the mountain because of the description that he gives to us here. It's, uh, it's the place in which uh, the older covenant was, was given to Moses. The Mosaic covenant is given. We find it in, uh, if you want to hold your place here in, in Hebrews chapter 12, turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. I want you to see what the author of Hebrews is describing here. In Exodus chapter 19, look with me in verses 16 uh, through 19. Now, the Lord is telling uh, Moses to bring the people out to Mount Sinai um, on a certain day. And so he's going to describe some things here that happen as the people come out. On the morning of the third day, and the people have, have come here, and he says, on the, mount, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from uh, from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of the Lord answered him. Can you imagine the scene? Can you put yourself in this sort of scene and see what's happening there? Maybe, maybe you can think that uh, most of us were around in the 1980s. In 1980 was the year. And imagine yourself in Washington State at the Mount of St. Helens on the early part of May that year. And you see Mount St. Helens and the billows of smoke coming up from the top of it. And you hear uh, those who know such things and study such things say, it's about to blow. you got to get out of here. And what is, what's your thought? You see that smoke coming out and maybe you hear some rumblings and maybe you even see some of the uh, the, the fire coming up out of the top of it starting to erupt and you say you don't have to tell me twice right I'm getting out of here 
This thing is scary. And most of the people at that time did. There were some who said, I've lived here all my life. I'm not going anywhere. And, well, as you know, that was the last we saw of them. Mount St. Helens erupted, and it was the largest uh, volcanic eruption in our nation's history. Can you imagine what it was like to stand at the foot of that mountain when these sorts of things start to happen and how you would feel? You would feel like, I've got to get out of here. Take that and multiply it at least 100 times, okay, standing at the foot of Mount St. Helens in early May 1980. Take that and multiply it 100 times, and you've got probably something coming close to what the people in Israel felt like at this time. They've been called to come to Mount Sinai, and the Lord's going to speak to them, and he comes down on the mountain, and when he comes down on the mountain in fire, the mountain starts to smoke, and there's billows coming up out of it, and, and there's this loud trumpet blast, and the people are scared to death. They're thinking, we were called out here to do this. I know i got to be here, but I can't wait to get away. And then Moses speaks, and the Lord responds, and the Lord in chapter 20 speaks these Ten Commandments to the people, and they hear the voice of the Lord, and that is so terrifying to them. Look with me in Exodus chapter 20. After the Lord has spoken, spoken from Mount Sinai, and he's spoken these Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, here are the people's response. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and they heard the trumpet and they saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled in fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. <laughs> it's a scary thing to come into the presence of a just judge who has given the law and you hear the law and you know that you have not, indeed you cannot fulfill all the law that God has given. The very first commandment, who of us has kept it for, for a solid hour at any point in our lifetime? Who of us has been able to say, I have loved the Lord, uh, that, that, uh, that we had no other gods before him? that only God. And Jesus condenses the law and, and we see it put into two, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Who of us has ever done that for a single hour? Given our every bit, totally committed to loving God in him alone. We begin to see that and we see that the consequences of not keeping that is that truly is God's wrath. And it's not just the walls of the building falling in upon us, but it is a casting out into everlasting darkness in, in, in hell. It's everlasting death. And we see God in his justice and his judgments here, and we begin to tremble. A little bit later in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 32, Moses has gone up on the mountain with uh, Joshua, and they've gone up there to receive all of the law. And as Moses is up there receiving all of the law, and he's hearing the, the consequences for breaking the law, he knows that God is absolute in his law. He doesn't judge on the curb. He doesn't let you slide, but that every single violation of his law's capital offense. Moses sees this and he knows this as he's up on the mountain 
receiving the law given to him, written by the hand of God on the tablets of stone. And while he's up there doing that, the people down below are saying, we don't know what happened to Moses. Aaron, come here. We need to see our God. You help us out with this. If you'll notice in the Ten Commandments, the very second one forbids this sort of thing. But Aaron says, anyway, give me all your gold. They give him his gold. He forms it into a golden calf. And then on a pointed day, he says, I'll show you your God. This is your God who brought you out of Egypt. So they come, and their worship is, oh, it's dramatic. I mean, and dynamic. And people are, are, are dancing around and singing out loud, so loud that, that Moses and Joshua up on the top of the mountain can hear it. Exactly what God has, has said you don't do. They are doing Moses goes down from the mountain. Uh, God's told him, these people that you brought out of the land. <laughs> and then Moses said, your people who you brought out of the land, it's like the you know mother and father sort of thing. Your son, did you see what your son did? Well, you should be disciplining your son, right? Well, it seems to be sort of the thing here. God says, your people. And then Moses says, your people. But anyway, he goes down and he sees what they're doing. He takes the tablets of stone that God's written on the laws on and he throws them down. They break. And he takes the uh, golden calf, crushes it into powder, puts it in their water and has them drink it. God has told Moses up on the mountain, says, I'm going to destroy them all. I'm going to start over with you. Moses says, don't, don't do that, Lord. Don't do that. What will the other people think? You've made promises to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they'll hear your promises and think you don't fulfill them. But God, you do. And so after Moses has them drink the uh, gold that's crushed into powder and put it in their water, the next day he's got to go back up to the Lord. And he goes up there knowing that because he's received the law and knowing that God doesn't judge on the, on the curve and he doesn't let people slide, he sees the absolute nature of the law and he knows that a just God will have to be just in this situation and have to bring justice on those people. And so he goes up and Moses does an amazing thing. He can't even finish his sentence when you look at it in Exodus 32. You can look at it later. He gets up there and he starts talking and he stops in mid-sentence because he, he is shaking. He, he is fearful. He knows the law and he knows that God is justly to punish them. Moses says to him, Lord, don't destroy them. Destroy me instead. Well, it wouldn't quite work because Moses himself was a sinner and it wouldn't work uh, uh, for that. But it is a beautiful picture of one coming who would be absolutely righteous and would say, judge me instead of them. Well, at Sinai, we see all these things going on. The, the, uh, the, the people seeing uh, and hearing the voice of the Lord and hearing the law and knowing the law's demands and knowing that they didn't fulfill those in any way. And they're scared to death. So much so that they say, we can't bear it ourselves. We need a mediator. Moses, you go. You go and you talk to God, and then you come back. <clears throat> At Sinai, we see that there definitely is a need for a mediator, one who would go between us and God. 
even as the people go in the wilderness and they build a tabernacle and the place where God would, would be, there's a veil there because the people can't come into the presence of God. They were told at Mount Sinai, if you come and touch the mountain, you're going to have to be stoned. You're going to be put to death. Even if an animal does this, you're going to have to be put to death. God's justice and his judgment. People were terrified. But the author of Hebrews starts this very passage where he talks about it. Back in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, he says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, uh, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded, that even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. The author of Hebrews says, that's not the mountain you've come to. That's the mountain where you would expect to come in the door and the church walls fall in on you. But that's not what we have come to. That's not what you have come to. So he goes on to begin to speak of the other mountain. He says, you haven't come to that mountain, but verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. What is Mount Zion? Well, Mount Zion uh, was a place where uh, when David first uh, conquered Jerusalem and he made it his uh, royal city, he uh, brought the Ark of the Covenant there and he placed it in the tabernacle on the highest point in Jerusalem, which is called Mount Zion. A little bit later, when Solomon builds the temple, he builds it very near that same site so that the, the whole area there where the temple was built built became known as Mount Zion. A temple is the place of God's dwelling. Mount Zion would be the place of God's dwelling. He says, we've come to Mount Zion, the place where God dwells. He goes on and he says, he, he calls it not only Mount Zion, but the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, you remember maybe back from uh, chapter 11 in Hebrews, it talks about Abraham looking forward to a city, but it was not a city that was built by man's hands, but it's a, a city whose architect and builder is God. He was looking to a heavenly city. The heavenly Jerusalem is what he's talking about here. And he says, this is what Abraham was looking for, and this is what you've come to, this new heavenly Jerusalem. We see that uh, in chapter 13, we're going to see that this heavenly Jerusalem is still to come. Revelation chapter 21, we see the, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven uh, onto earth. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. And so there is a sense in which this new heavenly Jerusalem is not yet, but it truly is. We have come there to dwell there with God and so to the city of the living God. It is already, this morning when we have come to worship here, you recognize we've come into the presence of the very living God. We don't see him uh, with our eyes. We don't perceive him with our five senses, but we perceive him with faith. We know it's true. He has brought us into his family and into this kingdom. And we're part of that kingdom family now. And we, we have many of the benefits of it right now already. 
but it's not yet. It's still to come with the new uh, kingdom coming as we see in Revelation chapter 21. So the, the Mount Zion that we've come to is the place of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And now I want you to notice something else about it. In the second part of verse 22, he says, You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. <laughs> what a contrast to, to uh, Sinai from Mount Zion, right? Sinai was terror and dread. Get me out of here. But what is Zion? Thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. We've come together with them. We've come to joyfully rejoice in the Lord. That's what we've come to. And then he goes on to talk more about it. He says, uh, verse 23, to the church of the firstborn. Well, what's the church of the firstborn? Well, Jesus is quite often called the firstborn of God, right? And so the church of the firstborn would be the church of Jesus. But all who are believers in Jesus, we see Paul say quite often, are in Christ. And so we are part of the church of the firstborn. We're part of that as well. Together with all of the saints from all of history. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are there. And, and uh, uh, Peter and James and John and Paul and so All of them are there. We've come together. With them, whose names he goes on. Uh, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels and joyful assembly, the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. We talk about a book of life, and Revelation chapter 22 talks about a book of life that is there, and all whose names in it are in it are saved forever to be in the presence of God together with all of the church of Christ. And with the angels, thousands upon thousands in, in joyful assembly. He goes on. <clears throat> you have come to, um, verse 23, uh, to, the, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men. <laughs> the righteous judge of all men who is all-knowing. He knows what you were thinking. Earlier today, he knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you thought throughout last week. He knows what you did, those things that you said, nobody's going to see this. Nobody will know but me. God does. He knows. And he can look at his law and goes, well, that doesn't fit. You're coming to the judge of all the earth who has all of the facts and judges completely righteously. And before, it was such a fearful thing because you knew that you didn't obey the law, but now, but now how can you how can you come into his presence and not be consumed in his wrath? How does this happen? He says, You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. Righteous men made perfect. How were they made perfect? Were they made perfect through the mediatorial work of Jesus? who comes and he, 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 he comes to, even though he is righteous and he absolutely no sin, he gave his life to be condemned, to die on a cross, to be judged by God. How was he judged? He was perfect. The only way he was judged is because my sins were upon him. And when God curses him because he is 
dying on a, on a cross, which we see from the book of the law, the Old Testament, we see in, in Galatians again, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree, and Jesus is cursed by God. So he says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because the sins of the world have been placed on him. And he knows the wrath of God for my sins. If you're a believer in Christ, he knows the wrath of God for your sins. And they're paid for. No more condemnation. And so we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Moses, the mediator of the old covenant where the law is given and there's, there, it, it just seems to be uh, so absolute. And if you don't do it, you're going to die. But Jesus comes, the mediator of this new covenant, of a, of a better covenant. And to the spring, and to the uh, a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood. That speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Remember Abel, first, uh, first human death in Scripture, right? And what is his blood crying out from the ground? Crying out for what? He's crying out for justice, crying out that justice be done for him, for a brother who murdered him, crying out for vengeance. That's the, that's the blood of Abel crying out for that. But what does Jesus' blood cry out for? Jesus' blood which he shed so that we could be forgiven, so that his righteousness then would be placed in our account. Jesus' blood cries out the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's what we find at Mount Zion. That's where we have come if you're a believer in Christ. So this morning I ask, which mountain have you come to? Have you come to the one with terror and fear because you've been saying, I will do everything I need to do to make God happy and you know that you can't? And yet you're still trying? I, I want to tell you, that's a scary thing. There's not a single one of us in here that will ever accomplish a right standing before God in our own works. That's Mount Sinai. It's a fearful thing. Or, this morning, have you come to Mount Zion? Full of joyous celebration together with the angels and the saints on high. Because you know and you're trusting completely in the work of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's a joyous place to be. So this morning, I want to encourage you to look not to your works, but to the works of Jesus for your salvation. Each of us, I think, at times probably still want to work on our own goodness. He makes us good, but it's still not based on that, that we have our standing with God. Look to Jesus. Keep our eyes focused on him. Know his forgiveness. Know the joy of being forgiven by him and to coming to a completely different place where we're able to come boldly into the presence of God. If you've never trusted in Jesus, but you're trusting your own works and I want to encourage you this morning. There is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. Only in the name of Jesus, only in his works can you be saved. And trust him this morning.
Come to him and say, Lord, I know I'm not good enough, but I know that Jesus was absolutely good enough. I know that he died to pay for my sins. And I accept that now as payment for my sins. Come to him. Know the joy of worshiping together with his people. Let's pray.